from the heart of flyover country. He's not on the far right, and he's certainly not on the far left. Like you, he's somewhere in the middle. This is Dale Carter's America. Okay, we are back at it after an exciting weekend in which KFKF had its uh, annual throwback throwdown. This is our podcast. I'm Dale Carter. He's Kurt Wheeler. And I was listening to some podcasts uh, over the weekend because I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you probably know more about this than I do. I've been listening to podcasts for a long time, yeah. It seems like the the really good ones have some structured beginning, you know, on, you know, make sure you're emailing us at dalec at kfkf.com or you're following us on Facebook, you know, at Dale Carter's America, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Structured just to... Uh, set it up, if you will. Right. Yeah. Like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, yeah. But I mean, the, with the platform or, or with the medium, I should I should say, of podcast being what it is, it's very free. So I mean, there there is some structure to a lot of shows, but we can do whatever we want, Dale. Okay. That's cool. the beauty of it. Well, you know, I came out of Throwback Throwdown, or I was out there at Azure Amphitheater, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But really, was encouraged by the folks who came up to me just unsolicited and said, "I love the podcast." Keep doing what you're doing. And you were there. I mean, you saw that crowd and the reactions that we got when we talked about America. We talked about what's going on. I mean, that was definitely a pro-American crowd. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to give you a a thanks for the shout out from the stage as well. I didn't have anybody come up to me because nobody knows who I am. But (laughs) (laughs) now they do. He was the man in black at uh, Azure Amphitheater last night. You and Clint Black. I think Clint Black was all in black and you were all in black. That's right. That's right. You are a lot taller than Clint Black. I am. Yes. Clint's about four nine on a good day. Oh, wow. He's a little bitty guy. Oh, I didn't know that. And you're very tall. So there you go. Throwback Throwdown was was amazing. Uh, Clint Black did a song that we're going to wrap today's podcast with. So when we get there, uh, listen all the way to the end. If you missed Throwback Throwdown, but you love this country as much as we do, you must because you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is not so much about left and right. It's more about America and why we love America. And uh, that's what the Clint Black song you're going to hear is all about. Obviously, since the last time we gathered around the podcast microphone, it's been very tragic in Afghanistan. Uh, We lost 13 service members, and this is a very fluid situation. As uh, the deadline looms here of August 31st, uh, there could be more. understand that there's been some rocket fire there at the airport in Kabul, and we've shot those rockets down, so we're at max protect. Why we weren't at max protect before, I have no idea, but we are now. Well, the scary thing to me is that August 31st is tomorrow. Uh, we're, we're recording this on Monday. So when the podcast comes out tomorrow, Tuesday, it will be today will be the 31st. And so I'm wondering what's going to happen after that date, because we have a hard deadline that the Biden administration set for when we're going to get everybody out by. I don't think we're going to have everybody out by Tuesday. So what are we going to do after that? And what's the Taliban going to do after that? Are they going to just start killing people? Are they going to be more ruthless than they already have been? I mean, we're in uncharted territory here. We'll find out. You know, the president keeps talking about over-the-horizon capabilities so that we can keep an eye on what's going on. We've already taken out at least a couple of their quote-unquote planners. I want to be optimistic about this and think that we're going to have over-the-horizon capabilities and be able to do this. I want to be optimistic that there is a roadmap for the Taliban to join the, the you know, the collection of nations in the world. And, and there are steps they can take to get an American embassy back 
and you know be able to be one of those nations that that has um, discussions with other nations and things that they do with other nations. We will see. They say they want to be there, so I guess we'll see where it goes. I don't agree with any of this, by the way, and we can get into all that. Let me get the headlines out of the way first, because as we speak right now, uh, there's been more violence in Afghanistan, uh, threatening efforts to finish those evacuations by the deadline, which is coming up tomorrow as we record this today. The U.S. shot down up to five rockets this morning aimed at the Kabul airport. There were no reports of any injuries. White House says this will not stop uh, the rescue mission. There's other news out there as well. Um, let's go to H.R. Uh, McMaster. He was a former national security advisor telling NBC News uh, that he claims there was a sustainable effort in place years ago that could have prevented what's happening now. We'll get into to my thoughts on that and ask Kurt what his thoughts are on what we could have done differently in Afghanistan. I don't think it's too early uh, to ask that question. It could take days for Louisiana to see the full extent of destruction from Hurricane Ida at least two levees have failed, forcing people to higher ground. Others are said to be overflowing. Ida weakened to a tropical storm this morning, and it's now moving across the Mississippi. Power, though, could be out in New Orleans for days, as long as a week uh, down in New Orleans. But they made some efforts after Katrina and all the deaths that happened after Hurricane Katrina to um, to make it better for, for the next Category 4, which Ida was a Category 4, and it looks like there have been a lot fewer deaths um, and we'll see what the, the destruction looks like at the end of that. And if that weren't enough, President Joe Biden, who um, we can talk about his fitness for office, and I have thoughts on that, too, that we're going to get to in the podcast. Um, the next burner on the stove is North Korea. Hmm. North Korea is back at it. They've restarted their nuclear reactor. The uh, U.N. Atomic Agency says it believes North Korea is producing plutonium in its reactor in Yongbyon. The agency said satellite images show the reactor has been discharging cooling water since July, suggesting it's operational. So you've got a 78-year-old president who you could question his mental faculties before he got elected, and we've got three and a half more years of this. Yeah, and it's it's. Uh, I don't think it's an accident that all this stuff is happening now. I mean, people... They like to say that under Trump, you know, America's presence in the world was weakened and blah, blah, blah. And that just wasn't true. I mean, if you look at how he handled China, if you look at how he handled North Korea um, and even Afghanistan, where we had zero casualties in 18 months, it just wasn't true that our position was weakened. Our position was strengthened on most fronts across uh, across the globe. And and now that we have Joe Biden in, I mean, I think. There, he's showing weakness on, on all of these issues, especially Afghanistan, you know, and it's quite possible that the North Koreans are seeing what's happening in Afghanistan and are like, OK, well, now we can just go back to doing what we are doing because he's not going to do a damn thing about it. Yeah. You have to worry about situations like this, uh, not only our adversaries, but our friends, our friends in Great Britain and Germany and France, you know, our allies. They're looking at us saying we can't count on the United States right now and our enemies, to your point, uh, in North Korea um, I don't know, enemy, maybe adversary might be a better term for that in Russia. I mean, you know, he's going to play Joe Biden like a fiddle. So everyone feels more emboldened because of this. And our president, I just, I'm very concerned. Um, he was at FEMA headquarters yesterday talking about Hurricane Ida. And then he said, you know, we'll take a couple of questions. And the first one was, what about this in Afghanistan? Did you see that? No, I didn't. His response was, I'm not taking any questions about Afghanistan. I'm not, I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead. Mr. President, on 
Afghanistan? I'm not going to answer Afghanistan now. Okay. Yeah, amazing. How can the president of amazing. the United States not answer a reporter's question about the front burner issue in yeah. the world right now? Yeah, and and I don't know if you have this on the on the docket or not, but we can drop this clip here. But the question that he was asked by the Fox News reporter um, at his last press conference. You know, do you take responsibility, basically, was the question. Do you take responsibility for what's happening in Afghanistan? And he essentially said, we'll play the clip, I do take responsibility, but it's Trump's fault. Yeah. Mr. President, there had not been a U.S. service member killed in combat in Afghanistan since February of 2020. You set a deadline, you pulled troops out, you sent troops back in, and now 12 Marines are dead. You said the buck stops with you. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks? I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened of late. But here's the deal. You know, I wish you'd one day say these things. You know, as well as I do, that a former president made a deal with the Taliban that he would get all American forces out of Afghanistan by May 1. In return, the commitment was made, and that was a year before. In return, he was given a commitment that the Taliban would continue to attack others, but would not attack any American forces. Remember that? To that presser and to your point, that happened after 13 service members were killed. And he finally, I mean, hours passed. We heard from everyone from former President Trump to uh, the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, uh, they all issued statements, and we heard crickets from the White House until very late in the day. And then, yeah, I don't, you saw it, right? Yeah. Bizarre is a word that comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, he did say some things that I needed to hear, and I think a lot of Americans needed to hear that we will not forget, we will not forgive, we will find you wherever you live. I mean, those words were the words we needed to hear. But they're just words. I mean, that that's the thing. Like every politician gives those kinds of speeches when something like this happens. And that's good. And they should give those kind of speeches. But it has to be backed up by action. And, and the fact is that his action has led us to this situation in the first place. His action in the way that he pulled out of Afghanistan, abandoning American citizens, abandoning our allies and leaving hundreds of thousands of weapons billions of dollars worth of equipment in the hands of the enemy and counting on the enemy to deliver our people back to us safely is what led us to this situation. It is completely unprecedented, certainly in modern American history, if not American history uh, writ large. And so he can say that all he wants, but his actions have shown that he doesn't have the strength to back that up. And, you know, I, I think it's a lot more believable if somebody like Trump, you know, comes out and says something like that. And he gave a very similar statement. You know, obviously he's not president anymore, but he gave a very similar statement. The difference being that when he was president, we saw more strength, I believe, in 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 that regard. You know, when uh, Syria had we uh, biological weapons that they were using against their civilians, we hit them. You know, and and when Iran uh, was was making moves with with their guy we hit him we killed the guy we killed uh Soleimani so I I just think that the the words are are good but they're they're shallow and meaningless if there's not action to back it up agree completely you know and Joe Biden looks at this as I had a binary choice 
My binary choice was to go along with what President Trump negotiated. That's the exchange he got into with Peter Ducey. Uh, before we get to that, the thing that out of that presser that got to me, and um, you haven't mentioned this yet, is when he got done speaking, he said, I've been instructed to take a few questions. Yeah. And I've been told to call on X person from NBC News, or I've been told to call on this person yeah. from Reuters. Who's? I mean, first of all, there's one of two answers to this question: either it's true that somebody else is back there pulling the strings on him, or he thinks he's being funny. No, I think it's definitely the former. I, I think it's definitely the former, and it goes back to something that I mentioned last week. You know, he he always has the cue cards with him. Um, there was that clip that we played a few weeks ago where he was talking to somebody in a bodega or something like that, and and they asked him about Afghanistan or China. I think it might have been China. They asked him something about a foreign policy issue, and he pulls out a card from his from his pocket, and he's like, "Oh, let me look at what they gave me to say here, yeah. basically." And he's just saying the quiet part out loud. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's not trying to be funny. He's not making a joke. Because obviously it's not the time for joking around. He's being serious. Somebody is giving him instructions on who to call, on what to say, on what the talking points are. And it's clear that he's not in control, that he's not uh, taking the leadership role as president of the United States. And that's more troubling almost than anything else that's happening is that we we know that he's not pulling the strings. You know, that's that's very concerning. Well, he went off script at that presser and he started calling on other people and i'm almost thinking that there are people behind the curtain basically holding their breath wondering what's coming next right, right. and then he calls on on Ducey from fox news who he has never called on yeah and you know he even set it up he says now nah, i'm gonna call on the most interesting person in the press corps you and and Ducey gets up and he goes me he's like completely shocked me you're calling right. on me he goes yeah you what do you got and, yeah. and I think this was preconceived as well because he knew what Ducey was going to say. Right. And he was going to use that as his exit strategy to say it's Trump's fault. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just everything about that, the the way that he immediately pivoted to to blaming Trump. I mean, we can't play video on this podcast, but go check out the video. I mean, the body language, the way he's like hunched over, like yeah. holding he put his, his head down. Yeah. He's like hunched over, like holding his notebook and yeah. he's like very weak looking and defeated and, you know, making excuses. And, and I mean, here's the thing, man, you know, the guy from Fox news, right? Peter Ducey, Mm -hmm. he's been asking good questions of Jen Psaki and now Biden in these press conferences, but he's like the only guy in there that's going to really push them and really ask tough questions. And I mean, to be fair, he's been getting some tougher questions from other outlets as well, but most of these news organizations and media personalities that are in that room are friendly to the administration they are and you know he's potentially the only person in there that's going to really push back and still you know that's that's only fox news i mean imagine if one of us were in there for example you know we we would ask a much harder question than that even so it's like even that is is still tame compared to what needs to be asked of this administration and what needs to, and their feet need to be held to the fire. It's still tame in comparison to the conversation that we really need to be having, you know? Well, we miss a guy like Sam Donaldson. Do you remember Sam Donaldson at all when he was at ABC News? I don't know. I mean, he was a guy who would hold whoever the president's feet were to the fire. And to your point about hard questions, we are getting harder questions from the mainstream media, but you know what we're not getting? We're not getting a follow-up question. Right. It's like, Whatever Biden says, okay, let's move on to the next question where a guy like Sam Donaldson and now Peter Ducey will say, but wait a minute, you said that and then you said that. 
he cannot handle those kinds of follow-ups. Just cannot happen. Yeah, and it was awkward too because then Biden did this thing where he he like flipped the question back on Ducey. Did you see that? He was like, he answered the question and said, no, it's, you know, Trump's fault, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then he was like, do you think that it was Trump's fault or something like that? I forget exactly what the wording was, yeah. but then he flipped it back on Ducey and then he's standing there like, wait, are you serious? You want me to answer that? <laughs> okay. Well, that gets back to the binary question where we started here that it either had to be this or it had to be this. He either had to follow Trump's um, roadmap on this, which he's not really following Trump's roadmap. We can get into that in a second. Or he had to commit thousands of troops and restart a war over in Afghanistan. There's there's another path. There's a lot of other paths. And as commander-in-chief, that's his job. Mm-hmm. You know, he ran on Trump is a disaster. Trump is wrong on everything. And then when he got into office, guess what? I mean, this may be a shock to some of my friends on the left, but at noon on January 20th of this year, Donald Trump no longer had the power to make decisions for this country moving forward. Right. You would agree with that, right? Yeah. That power stopped. And then that transferred to Joe Biden. And he went into his office and started signing executive orders. Remember that? I, I can't remember what the final tally was, but it was a lot. Yeah. Everything from Keystone Pipeline to we're going to get back in bed with the Iranians on, on the nuclear deal. We're going to get back in bed with the world uh, saying that we're fixing climate change when we're not. But but he did all that stuff. Yet the one deal that he could not overturn was Trump's deal with the Taliban. Right. Yeah, it's it's very convenient, you know, that... And even then, right, he can still blame Trump for it. So, like, he's blaming Trump for all these things that he's overturning with executive actions. And then the thing that he doesn't overturn, but still screws up royally because he's not doing... This is the thing, like, people will say, oh, well, this is Trump's deal. Kind of. I mean, in the sense that they were trying to pull out and they were trying to get all the troops out, but it's not Trump's deal in the way that it was executed. And that's the whole problem. I mean, the problem is not the deal. The problem is how it was executed. The problem is how we pulled out and leaving all our people there, leaving all our equipment there. That's the problem. And that's squarely on Biden. So, you know, people need to just point that out. And when he's like, oh, this is the deal that Trump made. It's just such a cop out, you know, it really is. Um, Now, what would we do differently? What would I do differently? I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. But like many um, uh, national security experts, I'm not sure why we had to completely pull out of Afghanistan. You know, we're not out of any other place that we've we've been at war. We're not out of Germany. How long has World War II been over? You know, we still have troops there. We still, and they say this is America's longest war. That's not true. I mean, we are still in a state of war with North Korea. Mm -hmm. You know, we're under an armistice there, but uh, we're we're not in a a treaty situation. So technically, we are still at war with North Korea, and we have 30,000 troops as a tripwire in in South Korea. We have troops all over the world. This is an area where terrorism came from. This is where Osama bin Laden planned the September 11th attack. Um, This is still an area that's problematic. So why didn't we keep a base there? We trained 300,000 Afghanis. And then we abandoned them, okay? They were counting on our air cover. I mean, why couldn't we keep an Air Force base over there with a minimal number of soldiers to back that 300,000 Afghani army? That would have been another uh, possibility that someone could say, hey, this is a better way to go. You are the president of the United States, Joe Biden. This was your football. And you decided to basically say, okay, well, Trump did this, and and so we're going to go ahead and pull out. I mean, here's the here's the dirty little secret about this. Why was 9-11 picked by Joe Biden 
as the date that we would be out of That's Afghanistan. That's a great question. That's a really you know good why. question. I'll tell you why. Because it's all politics. Yeah. He wanted to go out on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and say, I'm the guy that got us yeah. out of Afghanistan. Optics. optics. It's complete optics. Yeah. And complete bullshit might be another way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, because the facts on the ground had nothing to do with it. It was, I'm going to be the guy that gets us out by 9-11, and I'm going to put that feather in my cap. That would be his George W. Bush on the aircraft carrier with the sign behind him that said, Mission Accomplished. Yeah. And you see what's happened. It's been a complete, absolute shit show. And I'm just praying and hoping that we don't get any more of our American soldiers killed over there. It's It's been a very uh, – this deadly attack that we just went through. Uh, first of all, it was the first American casualty in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And it was the worst day in Afghanistan in, in a lot of years. I think it was like 10 years or something, yeah. It's just terrible. So, you know, we're going to go forward from here. There will be recriminations moving forward. But I find this interesting, and there's a few things I want to uh, talk about with regard to this. I have liberal friends. Do you have liberal friends? Oh, yeah, tons. Yeah. I'm a musician, Dale. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I kind of wonder what they're saying to you because I ask my friends, you know, on the left, you know, and my first friend is uh, Charlie Dean. A shout-out to her because she's been in the record business for a very long time, and we have awesome conversations about politics. We don't agree on anything. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we're still friends, even though we disagree. Wouldn't that be great in America if we stopped hating each other, even though we disagree on policy? Well, it's becoming less and less of the case. I mean, it's it's harder for me to have these conversations because uh, it becomes emotionally charged very quickly. Yeah, and, it does. Uh, you know, it I've, does. I've had that problem with friends of mine where they get really upset very fast. And then, you know, it's like, OK, well, you know, it's not worth destroying a friendship over. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple that I can still talk with, but very few. Well, I, Charlie, I, I said, well, so what do you think of your boy Biden now? You know, I started the conversation like that. What do you think of your boy Biden? She says, I feel sorry for him. And I'm like, why do you feel sorry for him? The guys wanted to be president since at least 1988, right? Yeah. He got elected to the Senate when I was nine years old. So I know Kurt wasn't even a gleam he, in his daddy's eye. He's wanted to be president since he was knee high to corn pop. Yeah. And he's finally at yeah, corn pop. That's a bad <laughs> dude. That's a bad dude. That corn pop. We played that whole clip. First of all, you know, we're, we're off the rail there. Mark Alford at Fox four, who's a dear friend of mine, you know, um, I put something up on the Facebook page and he, he put up a meme and he it said, you know, that corn pop was a bad dude. And I'm like, what the hell is this about? And he goes, go back and watch the video. Yeah. So I found a two minute clip of the, the corn pop video. You hadn't seen it before. I had not seen that before. Oh man, that's a classic. Have we ever put that on the podcast? Um, we might have to put it in. This oh my episode gosh. If you haven't way. seen that. Okay. We're going to put like an edited version of it, not edited inside. It's just going to be edited from start to finish. It's about two minutes in length. Yeah. And it's just Joe Biden running for president, March of 2020. He's at a swimming pool in Wilmington, Delaware, where I guess he was a lifeguard when he was a kid and he's the video is classic he's surrounded by all these little black kids who are at the pool yeah and he makes this speech we'll come back after the speech i learned a lot and i learned that uh it makes a difference this was the diving board area and i was one of the guards and there were a lot of there was a three meter board and you fell off sideways you landed on the damn uh, the darn cement over there <laughs> And Corn Pop was a bad dude, and he ran a bunch of bad boys. 
And I did. And back in those days, to show how things have changed, one of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board. I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off, and he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, these were all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate out here. I parked my car outside the gate. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He was waiting for three guys in straight razors. Not a joke. There was a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. He was the mechanic. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement where mechanics, where, where, where all the pool f f filter is. You know, the chain, there used to be a chain that went across the deep end. And he cut off a six-foot length of chain. He folded up. He said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. I said, you kidding me? He said, no, if you don't, don't come back. And he was right. So I walked out with the chain. And I walked up to my car. And they had, they, those days, you used to remember the straight race. You'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in a rain barrel, get them rusty. And I looked at them, but I was smart then. I said, first of all, I said, when I tell you to get off the board, you get off the board, and I'll kick you out again. But I shouldn't have called you, Esther Williams. I apologize for that. I apologize, but I didn't know that apology was going to work. He said, you apologize to me? I said, I apologize for that, not for throwing you out, but I apologize for what I said. He said, okay, close the straight razor, and my heart began to beat again. It's the most random segue ever. My God. <laughs> That corn pop, he is bad dude. Uh, anyway, so Charlie feels sorry for this president. I said, don't feel sorry for him. He wanted this, and, and he, he won. And she says, at least he's better than Trump. And I said, based on what metric? Yeah, how? Based how? on what metric? And then I've got another friend, Mark Westcott, who um, is also in the record. I think he's retired. He uh, was in the record business. Very dear friend of mine over the years but very liberal. And a lot of folks who've seen my Facebook or the the um, the podcast Facebook page have seen Mark Westcott jump in. And I said that to somebody else. Based on what metrics do you grade Joe Biden higher than Donald Trump? And two of the metrics, I mean, Mark had this voluminous reply, which I could have spent days refuting every one of his points. Yeah. But I have a life. Mm -hmm. You have a life too, right? Well, you know what I was thinking, actually, it's interesting that you brought this up because I haven't asked you this before, but without naming any names, I will just say that there are some people that regularly comment on our Facebook page that I would love to get into the studio to debate. <laughs> I would too. But you know, a lot of these people are keyboard warriors, right? There's, there's a guy named uh, John Bedoin, who's also a dear friend. He write he's a journalist from Lee summit and he and I went back and forth on this. And I said, John, why don't you come on the podcast? Yeah. Let's debate these things and yeah. not just be keyboard I'd warriors. I'd love to. I can, I can moderate and you can debate or you can yeah. moderate and I can debate. Do you I know think, what John did at that point? Great. He went away. He, yeah, he stopped responding, yeah. I'm sure. Because it's a little tougher to get in this situation and talk back and forth and make sense than to be a keyboard warrior and just say your shit and then go away. Right. Or, or get into a type fest back and forth. So two of Mark's points, which I can refute in my sleep, he says that our standing in the world has improved and the military really respects this president. Both of those are absolutely wrong. Again, how? That's all you have to ask is yeah. how. How? 
uh, our standing in the world, which we've already talked about. Our uh, allies can't trust us anymore, and our enemies uh, feel more emboldened now. So that's wrong. And uh, the military, especially after what happened in that tragic bombing at the airport, I can't believe that the military, our military leaders right now are more concerned about woke culture right. than what the use of the military is, and that's to kill people and break things. Yeah, well, that's that's what I was going to say is the follow-up to that should be, well, who's the military leadership? I mean, it, the uh, the military fighting force, the fighting men and women are only as good as the leadership, are only as good as the president. So, I mean, if... If the leadership and the president are on the same page, then they're probably both wrong. Another thing I wanted to mention, um, I saw this over the weekend. Uh, one of the top generals in the Pentagon, and I can't think of what the guy's name is, uh, but he is warning us that uh, we're so focused now on the southern border that you know the Taliban, now that they're going to be in charge and terrorism is going to grow like mushrooms over in Afghanistan, we worry about our southern border being as porous as it is. And I think that's something that legitimately we should worry about. Yep. But the other side of that is this general says there are terrorists already here. And, you know, they're just waiting for activation orders. So terrorism could be happening on our shores 20 years after the 9-11 terror attacks. So what I'm going to say here, and it's going to be politically incorrect, and the left is going to scream from the rafters. But remember after 9-11, we put in place a policy. If you see something, say something. We need to be vigilant about that again. Yep. If you see something, say something. If something doesn't look right, call the police and tell them that this doesn't look right. And it may offend some people. It may get some people's knickers in a knot. But would you rather do that? Would you rather offend somebody or watch smoke coming out of something like the Twin Towers again? Well, it's, it is troubling because, I mean, we're bringing in thousands of... Uh refugees from afghanistan and and i'm sure many of them are are legitimate refugees but there's a couple problems i mean the the first problem is just pragmatically speaking you know we uh, i'm not sure what sort of vetting we're doing of these people who are coming in and and if there's one thing that we've learned about the situation in afghanistan and the middle east generally it's it's the wolf in sheep's clothing you know i mean you never know when somebody who you think is your ally is going to turn against you. And I mean, that's what happened with the, with the fall of the, the so-called Afghan army when we left. I mean, there was supposed to be this great fighting force of 300,000 men. You know, we had them all trained and, right. and armed up and they just flipped on a dime. I mean, they gave up or they flipped and they're fighting for the other let side. Me, so. Okay. Let me have an, the other side of that perspective is again, we abandoned that 300,000 army. We basically said, we're pulling everybody out. Right. And the Taliban, nature abhors a vacuum, so they sucked right into that vacuum, and they made it clear to that 300,000 army that we're back, and Sharia law is back. And if you don't put down your arms, we're going to rape and kill your family. So if you've got nobody watching over you like what I would have done, which is leave a force there to keep our air cover for those folks, what are you going to do? Right, but I, I'm saying my so point. So I, I give them, I, I give them a little bit of leeway on that. But my point in bringing that up is that we've seen that it's there's a thin line between the enemy and the ally. I think in that I get in that, that region, I get you know, that. and and it often changes. And even with that said, I mean, here's the other politically incorrect thing to say: 
the the culture and the society of Afghanistan and Sharia law in the Middle East broadly is not compatible with Western society. And we're bringing in thousands of these people and we don't know if they're going to be able to assimilate. We don't know who they are. I mean, we don't know. That's that's kind of what I'm trying to say. It's very similar to what's happening on the southern border. Yeah. We're not vetting these people properly and bringing them in. And I understand. I think if anything, the Afghanistan situation is different because it's a situation that you could argue that we created and we created these refugees and we may have an obligation to do something I about think it. We do. But the the concern is still there and I think it's a I think it's a valid concern. And and you're right, you know, um, we need to be vigilant as American citizens and we need to keep our heads on a swivel and, and protect our own families and our own communities because I mean, we're bringing in all these people, and God knows what's going to happen. I guarantee you that I come to Westport every morning, and I'm here between 2.45 and 3 a.m. My head is on a swivel every day, and it has nothing to do with Afghanis or terrorism. It has to do with the hideous murder rate in Kansas City and not knowing where the bullets are going to come flying from because we are in Westport. I'll tell you, this morning I, I drove in, and I caught out of the corner of my eye a guy who looked a little suspicious on a bicycle like riding very close to our parking garage, I circled this neighborhood a couple of times before I landed yeah. because uh, I'm trying to be vigilant too. We all need to be vigilant. Um, it, it's a safety issue as we go into the 20th anniversary of 9-11. A couple more things on our president before we move on to the Supreme Court. There, there are some who are pushing for impeachment and or resignation. You've heard that, right? Yep. No. I don't think we should be doing either one. First of all, from our perspective on the right, being conservatives, it gets uglier and uglier when you get past Joe Biden. I mean, do you want Kamala Harris as the next president of the United States? Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, I'm going to let you finish your thought on this because I have some thoughts as well, but let, yeah. let me let you finish. Well, here's the I – mean, the issue is elections have consequences, and we need to learn from this. I mean, you've basically given control of our government – all three branches to the Democrats because of Donald Trump's mean tweets. And again, this is not on Democrats. Democrats are getting exactly what they want. And we'll get into to what it is they're doing and what their plan is for the midterm here. They're getting exactly what they want. Where, where I would argue is you've got people in the middle who are Republicans who say they're conservatives could not pull that lever for Donald Trump because he's a meanie. So let's give it to the grandpa over here because he won't be as mean. Okay, well, that's created consequences. We've got to live with that as a nation for the next three years. So Joe Biden is going to be our president. He is not going to be impeached. He hasn't done anything impeachable. I would argue Donald Trump didn't do anything impeachable, yet he got impeached twice because the Democrats controlled the House of Representatives. You know, they say that impeachment is whatever a majority of the House of Representatives says it is. I don't think... Uh, Joe Biden's done anything impeachable. Has he done some stupid stuff? He absolutely has. Um, Is he a feckless leader? Absolutely he is. Should he be president now? I don't think he should be. But he is. He was duly elected. We've got three more years of this show. And um, if he resigns, then you get Kamala Harris. And if something else happened, next in line there is Nancy Pelosi. Do you want to see President Nancy Pelosi? No, I mean, I, I would say that he's done impeachable actions. I mean, we talked about him overriding the Supreme Court a couple weeks ago, which is definitely impeachable just on its face. Um, and I, I think you could argue his his action in Afghanistan, you know, is uh, is a failure of leadership to a to a ridiculous level. 
and and the question of whether he should be impeached or not is a political question, right? Like and you it's said, moot because it's not going to happen. Sure, but I I still think that it's worth talking about, and I still think that if you are say a Republican senator or a Republican congressman, that it's worth taking a position on, you know, like the part of politics is, is taking a position on things, even when you know that it's not going to go through, like, you know, introducing an amendment for term limits, which has happened several times by Republican senators and congressmen over the past several years. They introduce an amendment for term limits. They know it's not going anywhere, but it's still the right thing to do. It's still the correct policy and they're still taking a stand and saying I am taking a stand on this side of the issue and I think that applies here as well and it is a political issue like you said impeachment is a political process it can be you know uh, high crimes and misdemeanors is a very vague well that's what's term. stated in the constitution right it's but it's vague you know high crimes and misdemeanors can mean a lot of different things and it's it's up to interpretation so it is a political process I do think that Many of Joe Biden's actions as president do warrant that. But, you know, the question that you brought up is, well, then you get Kamala Harris, then you get Nancy Pelosi. And I just I agree with that. And I would rather have Joe Biden than Kamala Harris. The other side of that is that I feel like you have to take a stand for the rule of law at some point. You know, if you don't uh, stand up and say, we need to impeach this president for X, Y, Z reason, you're creating a precedent for allowing that to happen in the future. When you can, when a, a, a future president will be able to do something similar, override the Supreme court or what have you. And then, you know, it just goes by the wayside. You're, you're slowly eroding, uh, the power of Congress and you're slowly, building up the power of the executive branch, which is what's been happening now for, you could argue, 100 years. Well, since FDR, for sure. Yeah, with the expansion of the departments and agencies, with the the expansion of the power of the uh, executive order, and all of this, you know. So I I just think that we're kind of on a slippery slope where we we keep not doing anything about different things, and we're reaching a breaking point where we're essentially just going to have like a, a monarch, a monarchy, you know, or a dictatorship, if you will, uh, where the president can just do whatever they want. Well, this is good that we're both on this podcast because we're both conservatives, but you're more of an ideologue and, and I'm more of a pragmatic politician. I'm more of a what can we get done kind of a guy. And let's not be distracted by a bunch of white noise. Let's find the things that we can get done. Well, I don't think it's white noise. I mean, I think it's I think it's important. And even if it doesn't lead to people introducing articles of impeachment. I, I do people see what will you're saying. People will introduce that. The ideologues yeah. will definitely introduce it, but it will not, from a pragmatic point of view, it right. won't go anywhere. And I'm not I'm not firmly planted on one side or another of this. I, I think, and I, I hear a lot of what you're saying, and it is a distraction. I mean, that that's what happened with President Trump. I mean, there was lots of other stuff going right. on, and he wasn't, his impeachment was not warranted. It was total bullshit from right. the beginning, both times. And we could talk about that another time, but... Totally politically motivated bullshit from the beginning, but it, more than that, it was a distraction. We spent months just talking about that, and Congress spent months primarily dealing with that instead of dealing with all the other issues that we were having as a country. So I do understand that uh, that pragmatic argument, and you know that's it's very uh, it's very convincing. So I I'm not uh, I'm not coming down on one side or another of this quite yet. 
I just think that it's worth presenting the other side of the argument, I it's guess. It's worth having the discussion. Yeah. We have a tripart government, which we've talked about many times. Uh, the Founding Fathers set up just a, a genius system to run this country. And right now, it may be SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, that may save us yet from what we are going to endure for the next three years. Um, they made a couple of key decisions in the last week. It's interesting how the Democrats have reacted to all this, which, you know, just if you could take like a 30,000-foot look at this, it, it's incredible. The stay in Mexico um, uh, policy that Donald Trump put into place, that was one of the executive orders that uh, Joe Biden put out immediately. Uh, the Supreme Court has overruled him on that. So now at a time when we're worried about COVID, you know, we haven't even talked about COVID yet. Yeah. Can we get through a whole thing without talking about COVID? Oh, I guess we just did. I just did. Okay. <laughs> so now at a time when we're worried about COVID, we're worried about our, our poorest southern border, we're worried about all this influx. Now the stay in Mexico policy has been upheld by the Supreme Court. So they're going to have to stay there and fight out their asylum claim there. And if it's legitimate, I think... I'm on board with legitimate asylum claims being granted. What I'm not okay with is thousands of people we don't know pouring across the southern border. Well, it really hinges on what you mean or what the definition is of the word legitimate. That's true. Why, you know, and that's why we have hearings. But now, because of the Supreme Court, while those hearings are taking place, you have to remain in Mexico. Yeah, totally. Which is the policy that Trump set up. The next one is the eviction ban, which just... I mean, I don't own rental property, but on behalf of people who bought like a duplex or something as part of their retirement package, and they cannot evict the person who's getting $52,000 a year in federal handouts, but won't pay their freaking bills. Yep. It just, uh, it just gets on my last nerve. I agree. I'm furious about it. And Biden extended the eviction ban. Mm -hmm. Supreme Court says you can't do that. If you want to do that, you got to go back through Congress. They've got to pass a law that you can then sign. And, of course, right after that, they said, well, Biden's like, well, I'll sign it. You guys get over there and, and make it real quick. And Congress is like the Democrats are like, okay, we'll get it done. And, you know, who is standing up for the people who own rental property in this country? We are. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's just further continuing the, uh, the abuse of power that has come out of COVID and and, uh, you know, the, the dependency on the government, it's all about replacing daddy with, uh, the government. That's, well, that's the name of the game. And I got into a debate with somebody who, um, wanted to argue the other side of it. And she finally said, well, you know, there's a program out there that if you own rental property, you can get government money to get you through when the hell is, <laughs> first of all, it's not government money, right. it's our money. You know, we are giving our taxes to the government, which is a swamp. Donald Trump very accurately called it the swamp and draining of the swamp. And then the swamp takes it and puts it in a blender to look like some ugly smoothie that's got like kale or something in it, which I would never <laughs> drink. And then it, it's like, okay, you can have a little and you can have a little and you can have a little. Screw that. Yeah. Yeah. People need to res be responsible for their own lives. You know, exactly. And that's... We have 10 million job openings in this country. Yeah. Get a job and pay your bills and become, uh, you know, a, an adult. Yeah. Grow up. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the biggest sea changes that we've seen in our political conversation and in our culture is, I think, Democrats and Republicans used to agree on that, you know, back even back in the days of like John F. Kennedy, you know, of course, not what you can yeah. do 
ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. The, the idea of personal responsibility used to be understood and agreed on by everybody. That's part of the, that's a crucial part of the American experiment is that with Liberty comes uh, duty with, and I've made this point many times, but uh, with freedom comes responsibility and you can't have one without the other. You can't have the freedom to do whatever you want if you're not responsible for your actions and if you're not responsible for what happens. And we're starting to see that more and more where, especially because of, of COVID, you know, again, you know, this has been a, a power grab from the beginning. And if you thought that these these new rules and, you know, these new mandates and, and these new allocations for increased unemployment, for rent forgiveness for loan forgiveness. If you thought that was going away, you're kidding yourself because no. it's never going to go away. No. Once you give, you know, once you put your hand in the cookie jar, you can't take your hand well, out. Well, in election law, that's that's the third thing I was going to talk about here because Texas finally got enough of a quorum, you know, in their state legislature to pass the reforms they wanted to put in place. Basically, COVID caused a lot of changes at the last minute that we have talked about many times on this podcast outside of the legislative process. The Constitution is very clear on this. The states run their own elections, okay? So outside of the state legislative process, there were emergency things put in place for voting uh, due to COVID. And the Democrats love a crisis. It's like, oh my gosh, look how far we got. Yeah. Well, let's put this in law. And the state legislatures in those states, like Texas, like Georgia, said, wait a minute, time out here. This is our election. We're going to run it the way we want to run it. So what have the Democrats said? Jim Crow on steroids. (laughs) Jim Eagle, as we, we had before from the president. We don't even know what the hell that means. All those states are doing are saying, hey, wait a minute, we have a say in this. We're going to make it harder to cheat. And we're going to know who's voting in these elections, as we should know who's voting in these elections with voter ID laws. The Democrats are out there saying it's Jim Crow. It's, um, you know, they don't want you to vote. It's voter suppression, any name that, that you want on it. So the line is drawn for the 2021 midterm. OK, it's the eviction ban. We don't want Hey, you know, we don't want you to lose your house. We don't want you to be out on the street. Oh, and by the way, here's like $52,000 a year in benefits so you can sit on your ass and play video games. That's the left's position. The right position is there's 10 million jobs out there. We've got a job for you. Get off your ass, get a job, and pay your bills. Okay, that's one line. We can argue that, right? Mm-hmm. You can argue. I mean, the left can argue we don't want you to have to work. And we're going to make it really easy so you don't have to work. And even, you know, if you've got a little money over here and you don't want to pay your rent, you don't have to pay your rent. And you landlord out there who this is part of your retirement, we've got a federal program for you too. And our military, meanwhile, is is getting woke. And our chairman of the Joint Chiefs is basically throwing out all this woke stuff that they throw out. So our, our military is getting weaker and weaker. We as a country are as are on the, I'm not going to say we're there. We're on the road to being as feckless as our president. Well, as I've said before, you know, we, we've talked for decades now about creeping socialism and cultural decay and um, weakness on the global front and all of these things that we are concerned about with the increasing activity of the left wing in our country. And now the rubber is hitting the road. That's how I always describe it to, to people. 
The okay. last year and a half, the rubber's hitting the road, and we're starting it to actually is. see this be implemented. Yeah. So, and, and you the got time th- for action is now. You got no. You got three more years of this. You got three more years of this. What we need to do is say, okay, we don't want this anymore. So we've got a 2021 midterm coming up. With that, you can take Congress away from Joe Biden. You can make him less effective. He can write uh, executive orders until he's you know blue in the face. And he may already be blue in the face. This may be a weekend at Bernie's kind of presidency. <laughs> yeah, it well, could be. as we've talked about, he's yeah. not calling the shots. So. Yeah. So, you know, he can do that, but but you can take Congress away from him. And again, eviction ban versus get a job and pay your bills. Which side of that red line are you on? Putting COVID restrictions into federal voting law or sensible voting laws implemented by the states, as it says in the Constitution. Now, out of these SCOTUS decisions that came up, the, the reaction from the left was, well, this is why we told you, out of fairness, we need Joe Biden to appoint four new justices right now. Right. Yeah, expanding four the court. New ju- <laughs> we got to expand the court. We told you, this is what we need to do. Um, that 6-3 margin and how you can get three justices to say it's okay for King Joe, the president, you know, you talk about a monarchy, for him to basically stamp the paper and say, okay, now me as somebody who owns a rental property can't evict you because you won't pay your damn rent. Right. I mean, how three of them could come up with a dissent on that, that makes me worry about any other leftist judges ever getting on the court again. Yep. Yep. For sure. And I mean, you know, even the um, Republican appointed judges have have been soft on some issues. So it's certainly not. I mean, I'm glad to see that. There are these good decisions coming out of the Supreme Court, but it's certainly no guarantee. I would, yeah. I would put it that way. So keep your eyes open. Keep your head on a swivel. Watch out for stuff. If you see something, say something. Follow what's going on. Before you go in and vote again and you vote for somebody because, well, he just seems nicer than the other guy. Think about the policies. We've got to start thinking about the policies. It's it's less about the personality than the policy. That's why I voted for Donald Trump, because personality-wise, I think the guy's an asshole. And I've said that on my Facebook page before. Mm-hmm. I wish when he got elected, somebody had taken his damn phone away from him. I don't think we'd be having any of these conversations had that happened. Okay, so we are where we are. It's time for us to get the personalities out of it, look at the policies and the long-term effect on the United States. We're $30 trillion in debt. There's There are two bills in Congress that are going to add at least $5 trillion that we don't have to the debt. Yep, yep. If not more, I mean, over the next 10 years, it's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> I, where does it end? You know, and somebody asked me, well, where does it end? Well, it ends when places like China and Saudi Arabia stop buying our debt. Yeah, I was going to say it ends in bankruptcy. It ends in uh, replacing the U.S. dollar as the as the global currency, reserve currency. It's sad. But out of all of that, I'm going to leave you with some optimism. From our Throwback Throwdown show with Clint Black, which was amazing on Saturday night at Azura Amphitheater, Clint Black did a song that I had not heard before. Uh, in fact, I don't have a copy of it anywhere in the radio station. We had to go to the Internet, just like many of you do, to find it. It's called America, I'm Still in Love with You. And it talks about all the great things about America. So do we have things we need to fix? You're damn right we have things we need to fix. And that's part of the part of our mission on this podcast is to talk about these things in terms of policy, not personality. There are things we need to fix. But at the end of the day, we're still Americans. So God bless this great country. God, look over our troops. I pray for the people in Afghanistan. I even pray for our president on a daily basis that that he makes wise decisions. I'm not going to hold my breath on that, 
but I pray for the president every day. So we leave you with this Clint Black song. Please reach out anytime, dalec at kfkf.com or on the Facebook page, Dale Carter's America. This is Dale Carter's America, and this is Clint Black. start never certain it would last we nearly came apart but now that's all in the past we stood the test of time and though it doesn't seem that long we've towed the line for years now and we're still going strong you gotta know you're not alone I'm still in love with you In spite of all our ups and downs We've gone our separate ways But we've come back around And even when we fight Just a little or a lot When it comes to friends You're the best one that I've got and I'm still in love with you, America. I'll still stand beside you when we don't see eye to eye. And I'll help to guide you when you can't see the light. And if fate again should find you with your back against the wall, just let history remind you who'll be answering the call. You've got to know you're not alone. I'm still in love with you, even when you lose your
views expressed on Dale Carter's America are Dale's and Kurt Wheeler's. They do not necessarily reflect the views of KFKF or Steel City Media. Comments can be sent to dalec at kfkf.com. Thanks for listening. Check back every week for new episodes.